Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we're putting on our feet, as well as rehabilitation in the running world. Um, Today is just Matt and I. Uh, It's Labor Day weekend, so a lot of people are out and about doing their things. So you're stuck with just the two of us, but we do have a lot of fun things to talk about. And even before that, uh, we have been really uh, encouraged and genuinely thankful for a lot of the support that has been coming through the podcast. Um, We have had a lot of people reaching out with uh, comments about what they've been learning through the podcast. And there's actually been people who have been starting to, to write reviews and support us. Um, And so we're going to talk about that, some of that stuff a little later, but if you're listening to this podcast, something that does really help us grow the podcast itself so that more people can, can hear it is if you leave a review um, on whatever platform that you are listening on. Um, If right now you can't see Matt, but he's put on his nineties shades from good or from their collab with uh, Reebok. So those look pretty cool. But um, so yeah, if you good or bad, if you uh, could leave a review to this podcast, it helps us know where we can grow, what things we should continue and uh, just how we can make this better and more beneficial to you guys. We take the um, feedback so, very seriously, by the way. So we, any, any feedback you have, positive and negative, is always really helpful to us. Absolutely. And um, we've just been honestly blown away by the way that you guys have been supporting us. And um, we don't take that for granted. And our team has been talking about the ways that as we grow um, and that with that does come changes in finances, and we were, we've been releasing our kind of financial report, just to be transparent about what that looks like. Um, that does make us think about how are we supposed to be responsible stewards of the money that's coming in to Doctors of Running. And so that's an ongoing conversation with our team about how do we use the money that uh, is coming, whether through you guys directly from supporting us or through ad revenue or whatever, how do we responsibly use that in our world? So. More on that as time goes on, but again, we are just super thankful for all of you guys for for following. But Matt, did you, um, you and your wife, do you guys do anything fun for this Labor Day weekend or pretty low key? Uh, pretty much the usual. I mean, we're both both pretty busy. My wife is studying for her board exam for becoming a board certified behavioral analyst. I'm prepping for PhD stuff, so mostly staying in and trying to get stuff done and hammer some runs in the morning. How about you? We're yeah, boring. we've been. <laughs> we've been we've been relaxed the weather is like turning into my favorite weather of the year here in wisconsin it's like high of 72 and cool in the morning so it's been really good we've just been enjoying time outside we had jazz in the park this, nice. this yesterday we went to that um so a lot some community events and it's just been fun so well it's time for shoe of the week um matt's going to bring us the shoe of the week it's a little bit of a unique shoe um and so he's going to tell us about it what you got so for those in the podcast, I'm holding up the Adidas Adi Zero Avanti Tokyo. And so they totally redid the shoe. So upper is totally different. It's going to be very similar to those that are wearing the um, Audios Pro 2, although much more snug with the similar sling in the back. 
the biggest change for this shoe is, or a spike, I should say, is again, using energy rods in a spike and a really nice amount of Light Strike Pro with some solid spikes up here. And I haven't worn a track spike in probably six or seven years. Wow. Maybe, yeah, somewhere around there. It's been a while. And so I was very nervous to put these on. I had no trouble. I have been prepping my calves, but it was really fun to just fly around the track in these, but still feel protected from the amount of the like Stripe Pro. So it felt like I had a racing flat on, not a spike, but it mm -hmm. still dug into the track really nicely and popped really great. So I, my only complaint is I wish, it's not really a complaint, it's more advice going, Adidas, please take this, the spike off and make this a road flat. Like this would be amazing as a 5K shoe for that or maybe even 10k but we'll see it would be I'll even do a, a long review it would yeah. be even a step down from the audio six you're yeah saying. like yes. just even lower to the ground just even lower to the ground like that super fast like light that's what would be awesome but because there's not a lot of shoes like that anymore on the market but it's also hard to sell that kind of shoe. So I understand. And you said similar to the Adios Pro 2. You just meant in the upper, right? Uh, I just mean in the upper, yes. The okay. amount of, <laughs> yeah, sorry. The amount of foam is, is much less. It's much closer to the ground, but there's still enough to provide some protection. So those who maybe ran in track spikes in high school or college, this is going to be a little different. There's a little more cushioning here. It's not a road shoe. It's not a maximal shoe at all but there's still plenty underfoot to provide some protection, which I really appreciated um, stepping into a spike for the first time in a while. So I've never ran in a spike before. Um, I didn't do high school track or college track, none of that. So, or even cross country. Um, I start my running stuff started later. What's the space for a spike for somebody like me? Is there a space for it? Or is it just like one of those things where if you're in the sport, you should consider this, is this a spike for high schoolers? Is this a spike for college athletes? Where do you, I don't even know what the questions are to ask about spikes, but what are your thoughts there? That's a great question. I think for the runner that is not racing on the track or in cross country, this shoe is probably not necessary. I think there's plenty of shoes out there that are probably going to be more protective and are more functional because if you're not racing on the track or the cross country course, it's probably not necessary to have one of these. I'm a shoe geek and I saw this as like, I want a pair of these, even though I'm probably not going to be racing on track. And I don't know if I'm going to have time to race cross country this season, so, but it's kind of a fun thing to have if you just want to be in the track and rip around there a little bit, but it's definitely not a need to. Um, it, even if you are racing track races, the thing I talked to a lot of the masters athletes I work with, it's if you can handle this and you can give your body time to get used to it, it might be a benefit, but there's plenty of people who are racing track and super shoes right now that are doing just fine. So you have to find what works for you. Some people like this. If I was going to race a 5k on the track, this would be my shoe, yeah. but um, yeah, it just depends on you. It's probably, it's a nice to have. It's really not necessary unless it's not even necessary. If you are racing track, to be honest, if you're college and uh, high school, you might want to consider it, but right. other than that, probably not just from a, like an injury risk standpoint. In a spike like that one, how, yeah. how far is that one designed to go? Like, is that like a 5k and under, is that like a, Oh, you could go 10k. Oh, you could, if you are ready for this, you could definitely go 10k in this. There's, there's enough cushioning, at least for me, what I was used to racing in, there's plenty of cushioning for that. 
Um, and I think most people that are used to cross country check spikes are going to go, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of foam underfoot. So you'll easily be able to take it to 10 K if you are used to that. A lot of people on the track still race 10 Ks in uh, road flats, which I totally understand. So, you know, again, it doesn't mean it's not aggressive. I mean, there's an aggressive spike plate and you have to get used to that like anything different, but there's plenty of shoe there for a lot of people, especially in the college scene racing 10 Ks. So you should be totally fine in this. Nice. Cool. We are going to transition to a couple questions uh, and topics that have been inspired by some of our followers and listeners. But before we get there, we do just want to give the caveat and the little disclaimer that none of the stuff that we talk about should be taken as medical advice or a substitute for it. This is all just educational in nature. Um, so if you are actually having um, symptoms of anything and you have questions specifically about your own pain, um, you should check out um, a local ortho PT in your area or go see your, your physician. So there's our caveat and let's jump into the first question. So this first topic uh, was inspired by one of our followers who sent us an email, uh, Ross McLaughlin. I just love that last name. It's like my, one of my favorite last names. Doesn't really matter. But uh, in the, the general topic that he's bringing up within his question is what can we learn from our outsole wear patterns? And what he talked about was his experience. Um, he wrote to us that he typically was in the Asics GT 1000. Um, and then he kind of switched over to the Arahi. He noticed that his wear pattern went from central through the shoe to a little bit more lateral. So he's starting to ask questions of, is this overcorrecting for me? Is it something I, can I stay? He really likes the Arahi. He said, should he stick with it? Um, does he, is it overcorrecting for, for something? But he feels like um, he's curious about that. He has not shared with us any other information about injury history or anything. So we're going to assume no injuries um, for this first part. But I think, Matt, let's start to tackle this question with what do we know about what is a typical progression through the foot um, as you roll through when you're running? Now, typical, what, what you'll find with most people is that you'll usually, if you are a heel striker, if, which is mo like 70, 80% of, of most runners, you'll land on the back or posterior outside, posterior lateral side of the foot. And you will then progress and roll through the four, you'll roll through the midfoot and then off the forefoot, off the toes. Where exactly you pivot off from that point will vary on the person. Um, there's, you do need to come back. You can't be totally collapsed because you do need to, you should pronate as you go through the midfoot a little bit to shock absorb. As you get off the forefoot, you're supposed to what's called resupinate. So get back into a little more central position, pivot off somewhere like the first toe, like centrally is a good place because there's a lot of power that you can generate from there. Some people will pivot off the lateral aspect, depending on who you are. Um, it just varies on the person. Going too far one direction or the other is where you can, you can, and certain people have some problems. So if you're too collapsed, as you pivot off the big toe, or if you're supinating too much and pivoting off the little toes, that can put some pressure there. But generally, it should be posterior lateral, lateral heel, roll through and come off, probably big toe uh, for the most part. And again, that varies because different surfaces and different shoes, your body's going to interact with differently. Um, if you're not having any problems, that's where I wouldn't worry. And if uh, I wrote an article for Runner's World recently on this exact topic, and I spent days looking through the research on this, and I there is nothing, zero, on 
correlate i'm like finding any correlation between wear patterns and injury risk and not even correlations and remember correlation does not even causation they don't even have correlations between different wear patterns and different mechanics so it's a total guess so i can say yeah if you're if your wear pattern is starting to get a little bit more lateral, it might suggest you might be pivoting off the lateral aspect of your foot as you, as you toe off if you're having a forefoot. But we really don't know until we actually look at your mechanics. So <laughs> it's kind of a, a tertiary thing, meaning it, 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 may, it, might, it might give us some hints, but it doesn't give us a clear answer. And I would say the biggest thing is if you're not having any problems, I wouldn't worry about it because we, one of the things we do know is comfort is really important in, in injury reduction and good running, right? Cause if a shoe sucks, you're not going to want to run in it. Um, right. I should say, if it's not comfortable, you're not going to want to run in it. But I would say if you're enjoying the Arahi and you're not having any problems, you should be fine. It is a different shoe from the GT 1000. So yeah. uh, there's much, the stability in the Arahi moves much farther forward in the front, front of the foot. So it's not totally surprising, but if you're not having any problems, I wouldn't worry about it. And um, just one other thing to add from a general kind of pattern standpoint, you kind of talked about if you land in the heel, posterior lateral, kind of gliding a little bit more medially and then maybe just to the inside and then slowly coming back to the outright at the end. Um, one thing that I have a lot of patients who come in, they say, hey, look at, I land way on the outside of my heel, I'm over supinating. That's the phrase they use. And then um, it just goes through what we just talked about where landing on the outside of the heel is actually the normal spot to land. So just having wear in the lateral side of the heel does not mean you're a supinator. It means um, you're normal. That, it means you're normal. That, that, or you're a, heel, you're, a non, you're, you're a heel striker. You're a rear foot striker. The other thing is if you, are, if you do land more forward, if you land in the midfoot or even in the forefoot, you likely are landing on the outside or the lateral side of the foot there. So likely your wear is going to be a lot of the outside of the, of the shoe near the middle of the foot, the midfoot or the forefoot. And again, that's a part where people are like, I'm, I'm supinating too much. Um, and, and really that's just because that's where your impact point is. And that's again, normal. So um, outside of, you know, like what Matt was saying, there's no correlations with certain wear patterns and injury rates. And I think at the same time, it doesn't necessarily tell us if you're supinating or pronating either, because the, the wear pattern um, can be on the outside when it's normal, definitely for supinators. I think what's interesting for Ross um, is that he has noticed a difference between two types of shoes. And so I think, like you said, Matt, you're noticing that yes, a shoe can change how you're how your body is interacting with the ground or the shoes interacting with the ground. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or good if it's still comfortable. And at the same time for him, he was talking about how he really just likes that Hoka feel. And since he has not been having injuries from what we know in the GT 1000, which is a neutral shoe. And then if he's also, it wow. has the trusting system, but yeah. it's, it's really Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, see like, I think it's like light. I mean, they call it moderate, but I having run in that a while ago, it's like mild stability ish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either way, I get I you. think... you're, you're kind of right though. It yeah. Some, for some people it is, it's different than the Arahi for sure. But I think for him, you know, if he's not having problems in that kind of a shoe, he could think about, like he talked about Mach 4, try out, try, go try it on, go see if yeah. it 
feels like it's giving you enough of what you want. Like if it feels comfortable and um, the wide base on Hoka does allow these neutral shoes to have for some people the right and the sidewalls, the right amount of stability that they enjoy. So I would say it's fair game to go try it. If you're looking just for the Hoka feel, but you're not sure if the Arahi is exactly what you want. Um, maybe Rincon could be a good one. Cause it's a little like Arahi and Rincon are a little bit firmer from in comparison to like, or even Clifton, but Clifton gives me blisters. So I'm, I'm bitter towards the Clifton. I found, I didn't find the Clifton. Weirdly enough, this version I didn't find very stable. So I, I, that would, unless you like it, it's one of those, I would yeah. mock for mock, mock, definitely Rincon definitely. Cause we got more of a traditional Hoka design. Arahi's good. All that, just find something that's comfortable. And we would always, one of the things that we know from the evidence is always a good idea if you can afford it, which it's not, that's not always feasible. If you have a couple different shoes you can cycle through, that's even better, right? Because it's, it, as you can see from your wear pattern, there is something that's different, right? Whether it's your actual ankle mechanics or where you're pivoting off from and creating the most friction, no idea, right? We don't know that from wear patterns. But if you know that there's some variation, that's actually not a bad thing to switch right. off between those two ones because it's, it's a, basically a form of cross-training. It's redistributing loads instead of loading the same tissue repetitively. So yeah, the, rotating between the, the GT1000 and the Rahi might not be a bad idea. And if you like the mock, not a bad thing to throw in there as an up-tempo day shoe. So I'd say, again, don't worry necessarily about the wear pattern. Just go, hey, I know that I run differently. This might be a good shoe to... Or there's something, I shouldn't say I run differently. There's something different about this shoe. This might be a good one to have my rotation if it's comfortable to me and I like it. Yep. Yep. I think you, I'm stealing this from you, Matt. You said yeah. this to me before we even started recording, but you said looking at someone's wear pattern or talking about it is like standing a mile away from a house and being told to tell them what's inside the house. And so taking a wear pattern is not going to help you in, in figuring out what's going on inside the body. And that's, and, and that's, we're talking about someone who's not getting hurt, even in the case of someone who's injured as a clinician, we're not going to just take their wear pattern and then diagnose them from there. The, the wear pattern is for him, it's actually potentially useful to have two types of shoes that show different types of wear patterns. If that wear pattern does mean, and we watch him run and we look at his strength and we look at his pain patterns, if they all start to come together, then we can tell them what's inside the house. But the wear pattern is like Matt said, before we started recording, standing a mile away and trying to figure out right. what's the layout of the house. Right. Cause the wear patterns will tell you nothing about the actual like progression of your foot. It'll only show you after miles of where you're creating the most friction, but it's, it's, this is over who are, who knows how many runs and how many footsteps you, if you really want more information, you need to have somebody, an expert take, do a gait analysis or assessment, look at your strength, look at your mobility and put all those factors together. Cause to be honest, even those things individually don't give you the whole story. It's all of those factors combined that you'll be able to go, Oh, okay. That's what's happening. But if you're not having any injuries and it's really, it's comfortable to you, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry. I'd go, Hey, this is probably a good shoe. If it's comfortable, let's, let's keep going. Yep. Awesome. All right. We're going to transition to our next topic. Um, this is inspired by another follower. His name is Chris Rinaldi, and we actually have to give him a huge shout out. Um, we're super thankful for him. Um, a lot of people probably don't know this through, we, we produce the podcast through anchor, um, and, Part of Anchor allows you to have listener support, kind of similar to like a Patreon where like people can give monthly. And we like 
a year ago or whenever we started this, we ticked the box, like, sure, we'll just enable that. And we ended up looking and, and Chris has been supporting our podcast monthly and genuinely that blows us away and makes us super thankful and pushes us to keep trying to produce helpful resources for all of you. So Chris, thank you a ton for supporting us. And we're, we've been trying to reach out to him, but we didn't know where. And then we found out he emailed us a question. And so we're, we're glad we have contact with him now. And um, so again, Chris, thank you. I will say that if, if people do want to support the podcast within the description of the podcast on the platform you're listening to, there should be a link to the anchor support page. And so you could sign up for that. Um, it is literally, we have zero expectation of that at all. Um, but people have been reaching out to us asking, how can I actually support you guys financially? Which is a really strange question for us to receive, but here, here is a way. And so if you guys are interested in that, um, you can, you should be able to go into the description of the podcast and click the monthly support. And then there's options from there. Um, but again, Chris, thank you. So here's, uh, here's the topic that he brought up. It's really a question about what should be your first super shoe, but I'm going to read it the way that he, he posed the question. He says, what is the best super shoe for someone with mild to moderate stability needs? Who's running a marathon for the first time with a super shoe? And they're only, I'm only going to be using the shoe for some acclimation to the shoe and then racing. So they're only using the shoe to race in and just get used to it. And it's going to be their first super shoe. They have mild to moderate stability needs. Take that where you want, Matt. What are you thinking? So Chris, you're in the same boat as me as, as someone who has mild to moderate stability needs. That's always been a really challenging question to try to figure that out. I think Again, it's going to depend on what your body can tolerate. And I'm fortunate that I can handle a variety of things. But when it comes to a marathon distance, you really got to check this out. And you also got to know where the stability needs are coming from. So somebody that has stability needs at the foot, it's going to be very different than somebody who has stability needs at the hip. So it will depend on what's driving it. Um, the shoe that I have enjoyed most, and I think there's going to be some people that are going to disagree with me, which I'm, I'm open to, um, is probably going to be... I don't think so, Nathan. It's probably going to be this one. Actually. Oh, really? Um, no, I mean, I I have a special place in my heart for the Metaspeed Sky. I love this shoe. I didn't want to, and I've used it for everything. Like, yeah, everything I'm not supposed to. So I've used it for like an aggressive trail race. I've used it for a cross country race recently, race around like a sixteen thirty something five k. Um, the forefoot is really good in the Metaspeed. I think the heel is just a little bit unstable um, for longer mileage. And I've felt that on the longer temple runs I've done in it. Um, we haven't tried the edge yet, so that might be an option. So I'll have to get back to everybody on that. To be honest with you, the Adidas Adi, Adi zero adios pro two, it would probably be my go-to if you don't have severe stability needs up higher, or if you don't have any stability needs in terms of like, like supination stuff or any of that stuff, because, there is a plate in the rear foot that's designed to be almost like an orthotic. And I feel when I'm running longer distances, this shoe keeps me more lateral. The heel bevel, the plate in the rear foot and the rods in the forefoot are stiff enough that this actually works like a mild stability shoe for me. And this is the only one I've been like, like I ran a 10K recently and I was really nervous to try anything. And I grabbed this shoe and I was fine at the end. So even with 10K, sometimes I'll fatigue a little bit at the end. 
the Audios Pro 2 I was fine in. The only thing I would caution you in is if you have any hip stability issues, the midsole is very soft. Um, it's not a vapor fly soft. It's still soft. So you, you would definitely need some time to acclimate. But if it's like stability needs in the foot, you should be fine in something like this. Um, Nathan, I'm curious. And again, the reason I say this is because there's so many, it's not a posted shoe, but there's so many natural mechanisms here, including like you can see, I mean, I've torn off the poor heel here, but you can see how laterally beveled the heel is. And there's a plate in there that also does the same thing. So it creates a really stable uh, rear foot for somebody that does pronate. Um, even here at the midfoot, the rear, it, it's the plate and stuff is so stiff and the, the rods are, I know I shredded this. Uh, for those of you who can't see on the podcast, I have just absolutely destroyed the posterior lateral heel and this poor pair of Audios Pro 2s. Um, the rods work very well for me. They work very well on Audios Pro um, 1. Uh, I just, there were some mechanical issues on that one that didn't work as well for me, but it's just forefoot is absolutely super stable. Midfoot is stable enough. Rearfoot is super, is really stable. So that would probably be my suggestion for a shoe with for those that need, need mild to moderate stability, but can handle something a little softer. I'm curious, Nathan, to know what you think. Well, quick question about the yeah. Audios Pro 2. So there's the medial cutout, right? Yeah. So the, the middle part of the medial, the inside of the midsole is cut out. Yeah. Why, why do you think that doesn't play a role? Kind of dig into that a little bit. I, that's a really good question. That's actually something I was super nervous about. So again, for those people that can't see, there's a very large cutout in the midfoot. And normally for me, when I'm grading shoes, I'm like, that's a huge no-no. I think that the rods, because they sit fairly close to you and there's, there's a good number of them, right. That are in there. I think, is there four or five? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. but they run along the foot and they're much closer to the foot. So I think they do a good job of creating enough rigidity that I didn't notice that midfoot cutout at all. Um, in fact, I wonder if they actually had sold there, if it would make it too stiff for some right. people. So I can kind of understand why they did that. As, so, someone, yeah. as someone who hasn't ran in that shoe, I think the way you've described kind of some of the lateral bias of it as well might play a role where the shoe is honestly guiding you yeah. on a path that avoids that area. I think because of how much stuff is happening at the heel between the both the plate. So there are both rods and there's a rear foot plate in this shoe, plus how significant the lateral bevel is. Um, yeah, you're gonna be so you're gonna be on the lateral side and you're not even gonna touch, you know, this cutout. Yeah. Because there's so much stuff in the rear foot that'll set you forward there. So you'll you'll probably be fine. So this for mild stability would be my choice. Nathan, what do you think? I think you're about ready to grab something. No, I was just grabbing the MetaSpeed Sky because I knew you've been riding oh. that shoe like mad, but that one is not a stable shoe for me. So I'm definitely not talking about that one. Yeah. There are, I would say in the ones that I've tested, which is most of them, um, there are three that stand out from a stability standpoint. One of them is unique to the other two. So the first two, I'm going to bring them up together, is the um, Saucony Endorphin Pro. I have the two second version here and the Speed Freak from Skechers. So what these two have in common is that they're very, the plates are very rigid. They operate off of a very gradual um, but effective rocker sole. Um, and they have a wider base pretty much throughout. So the, the Pro is a little bit more narrow in the midfoot, but it's still full contact and, and wider throughout. And so those components create a a, a relatively stable platform and they don't really flex a lot. And the foam isn't like squishy soft. It's a little bit slightly on the firmer end. 
And what the, if the shoe works for your mechanics, they're going to be more stable um, just with the way that they roll really nicely. The other thing about the Speed Freak is that this plate, um, the H plate that they have, well, it's kind of the mo it's modified H plate now because it has the two sides of it, but it spans the entire width of the forefoot. And so this is probably one of the most stable forefoots that you're going to get in a super shoe. Um, and then there's just no plate in the heel. So if you have rear foot issues, this might not be your best option. But if you have kind of mid to forefoot issues, the Speed Freak can be a really solid choice. The I, third one, oh, go ahead. I'd like to totally add that I, I fully agree and I should have I grabbed the Speed Freak too as terms of a solid shoe that can be considered a super shoe based on the, pl the plate design. That, the H plate is one of my favorites because I tend to have some forefoot stability issues. I can like do a full, like easy run. I can do a long run in the speed freak and not have any problems at all. And that actually might be better if the audios pro it too is too soft. The speed freak might actually be a better option. And I, I will admit I was careful to say that because I'm obviously very biased since all the marathons I've done have been in the predecessor to the speed freak. So right. there's a, there's a little bit of bias there. Yeah. Um, so I think those two are similar. I said wider base, kind of the rocker sole, pretty consistent, a little bit firmer. I would yeah, say of the endorphins, uh, the endorphin pro, I would say version two because of some of the upper changes was more stable for me than version one. Yep. Totally. The third one that I think kind of enters the most stable shoe of the super shoes um, for me, but it's different is the, is the Puma deviate nitro elite which as everybody knows is really hard to come by right now i'm sure it will change they know the shoe's a banger and they just the world's been crazy i almost feel bad that i have one actually they gave me two we, we actually I, have two pairs i gave i gave my other pair to somebody so they could have one um but you know so <laughs> that's got two so we feel bad but the this one the reason it's so different is that the rocker is not super pronounced um, and the plate is much more flexible. Like when you're running slower paces or if you're really digging into it, you can flex the plate, no problem. I think what makes this one more stable is the slightly lower stack and the plate design that it's split through the forefoot. So it kind of allows you to like stabilize yourself on the platform. Um, in the heel, this it's very squishy, but because of the position of the plate closer to the heel, this one has been pretty stable. It feels more like a traditional trainer that is just super light and has really fun bounce to it but um a little bit slightly lower profile that gives it some of that stability so these two are stable for one reason for me and then the the dba natural elite for another reason what do you think do you agree with that one on this i, stability I, I, def I definitely agree i think i've been so cautious using the deviate nitro elite um that i haven't really i've only taken on one like 10 mile uh, threshold run. And I was like, Oh, that was so great. But I don't want to do that again because there's not that like, it's hard. If I ever want another pair, I can't, you know, dude, you have two pairs. Yeah, I know. But like, I'm just, when they're hard to come by, we have a very, please, by the way, don't ask us if we're going to sell these to you. We have a very specific rule that we do not sell any of the shoes that are sent to us. We're not when we run to. through them, we will usually give them to individuals in need. Like I have a couple high schools local with me that I'll send shoes to, or you know, individuals that I know that need a pair of shoes that I'll, I'll send them to, but we please don't ask them to go to sell them. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to come by. So I haven't, I've been trying, you know, I got the review out. I'm like, I can't, I got to save this for like special race day. And then it's white, right? So I'm not going to take it on dirt. So I always just, I'll just take the Metaspeed Sky on everything. 
<laughs> That's hilarious. You should okay. use one of the pairs more. Yeah. Uh, a, a couple honorable mentions, and I, I know some people are probably going to bring this up, but we, the other ones that could be considered, but there's some small issues with them. I ha- I've jogged around in a store in the Brooks Hyperion Elite 2. I didn't purchase it because I, there were some problems with the upright, which I understand they're working on for version three. I think the way that she was set up is really good. Version one is, I don't, is super firm. So I purchased it and it was very stable because it was so rocked and so stiff, but I think it's too stiff for most people to use for marathon distances. I had, a, I used it for a 5k one time and it was fine. But, and then the other thing would probably be the 361 flame but I would honestly not suggest using the shoe for a marathon because it is so stiff. It feels great if you're running a 5K, but I think there's some work that needs to be done on the shoe because it's so firm and stiff, which for me made it too stable, actually, where it was so rigid. My mechanics were like, I was getting thrown all over the place because I had a hard time getting over it. Although to be fair, I apparent this is supposed to fit a half size small, so or what half size large. What's the term I'm using? It fits large. You should it half fits high, large. you should go a half size down. Yeah, I went true to size and I, I like the extra room, but I think my foot's hitting the plate the wrong way. So it's super stiff and it's not something I would suggest using for a marathon unless you love super firm shoes. So it's with how it's, with how stiff this shoe is, if you're hitting the rocker in the wrong spot, it's gonna feel really bad. So I'm a half yeah. size down and I hit the rocker in the right spot. I will say it's for me, you know, it's really, really firm, the foam and front to back, it's really, really rigid. And so I think the problem there for me is that if I hit or if I'm getting tired and I start hitting a little bit on the side, it actually throws me because it's so firm that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really compress a ton. So it feels like it just throws me back and forth. So I I'm with Matt, if you're doing something that you're going to get really wicked tired in for a long time, this would not be my choice. Um, so, I think for shorter distances, it might be fine if you're hitting the ground really hard and you're engaging the foam in the plate, but anything yeah. longer, I, I, so honorable mention, but I'd be cautious with on the Hyperion honorable elite, mention from a, from a stable standpoint. Yeah. The Hyperion elite two would be an honorable mention, but you have to make sure the upper is working for you. I've had a lot of people comments on blistering and problems like that. So I might wait for version three, which is supposed to be pretty good. Haven't I, we've talked a little bit, but uh, my biggest suggestion would probably be like like Nathan mentioned, the Speed Freak is a really good one based on if you need forefoot stability. The other one, if you can handle some of the softer platform, would be the Audios Pro Two, just based on how the rear foot is set up and then the forefoot being stable. Another option would be the Endorphin Pro Two, but I would put that more at mild. If you have mild stability needs, and then there's some other things that we can talk about. Yeah. I think if we take this and we back way up, um, you know, the question is what should be my first super shoe, you know, within a marathon. And I, and I think there's a, there's so many different areas to consider this question. We talked last time about, I think it was last time or two times ago, who actually benefits from super shoes. And I think just, just to globally remember a couple things, one, define your, what benefit means for you. If benefit means getting through a marathon healthy, that's a whole other question. If benefit is what shoe is going to help me with the most running economy, the reality is that we don't know how to pair a person to uh, which super shoe is going to help them the most from an economic benefit standpoint, because 
Uh, McLeod et al. did that one. And even in the 4% study had such a range. And so there's enough variables that we don't know how to control that each person is going to do a little bit better from an economic standpoint in different shoes. So make sure you're asking that question. And we're not going to dive into this right now because we kind of talked about it last time, but just make sure you're asking that question. What does it mean for me to benefit from a super shoe? Does it mean I'm going to stay healthy in my marathon? Um, which that begs a ton of questions about, do you need a super shoe for it? Do you even then, need a racing shoe? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, so just keep those things in mind. We had fun talking about like where the stability elements are in these shoes. And if people are wanting to buy a super shoe for their marathon, um, that's what we wanted to kind of talk about, but just keep that in the back of your head as we go. Just remember that just because it's quote unquote, a super shoe doesn't mean all the super things are super positive. There are certainly some <laughs> risks, right? So any, anything, right. There can be some benefits. There can also be some serious risks. At the end of the day, you want to make sure you finish your race and do not be afraid to go, you know what? My daily training shoes, the shoe I'm going to use for my marathon. Cause you know that that's the shoe is something reliable and you can trust. And I would say for, especially for an introduction to someone like doing a, a, either a first marathon or a marathon, you want to make sure you finish. Sometimes just taking your daily training shoe might be the best option or even a lightweight trainer, right? There's some really good options out there that may not have a plate, but still are like solid ones right now. Like if I had to go run a marathon tomorrow after doing a longer today, I'd probably choose the Puma Magnify. Did I say that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Cause that's just a shoe that I, I trust. And I've been able to do long runs in that shoe. That's the shoe I grab when I'm like, I'm beat up and I need something to like protect me over long miles. So it just depends on what your goals and your needs are and what your mechanics can handle. Because you, if you're going to run these shoes, you need to make sure you acclimate to them because there's some risks associated with them as well. It's not all, you know, PRs and goo, tasty goo shots. There's some nasty goo shots in there too. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Perfect. So I think that's everything that we wanted to cover today. Um, Matt, do you have anything else you want to bring up? Yeah, just remember with all the stuff that we talk about, please remember that all of this is general. The you as an individual are going to be different from anybody else. So remember when you're, whether you're reading reviews, whether you're trying to figure stuff out, remember you need to make sure this is applying to you, not the general public to you. Each person is different. They have different needs, different mechanics, different race goals, different training, you're unique. You do not have to do what everybody else is doing. You have to find what works for you. So some people work very well in super shoes. Some people can actually train full-time in them. I would not do that. Some people don't respond well to those and they respond better to shoes that are a little bit more flexible, don't have a plate, maybe lighter, maybe heavier. You just need to find out what works for you. There's plenty of people right now, like Camila Heron, right? So the pro athlete for yeah. Hoka is running, what is she running? She's like some like multi, like super long ultra marathon. And she's running in the next version of the Rin, uh, Rincon. Rincon? Rincon? I can barely speak English. It, it's, it's something. Fine. Somebody tell me. Um, she's running in the Hoka Rincon, which is a, their like lightweight shoe that can definitely be a lightweight trainer or a racing shoe. And there's no plate in it. And she's doing, I think she's doing fine. So yeah. Just find what works for you and what's most comfortable because what's most comfortable is probably what's going to get through through that finish line. You talked about, um, this is unrelated, but you talked yeah. about just, you know, if I were to happen to run a marathon last minute, I'll just invite you again. Come on out to Wisconsin, run my marathon with oh, me October 3rd. 
The only thing I'm I'm scared that I'm not going to want to leave. That's what I'm concerned about. Lakefront Marathon. Come on over. If anyone's going to be there, let me know. I'd love to meet people. But Matt, you can come. You can come run it with me. You can pace me. Pace me at my... I don't know what I'm going to run it in. But whatever I end up running in, you can run next to me. You could do that. No problem. Yeah. So just kidding. Don't... You don't need to do that. Anywho... um, little sneak peek into next week. Um, we're really excited. We're actually bringing on one of our um, guest reviewers, Andrea. She's a clinician out in Connecticut. Um, very experienced, has a ton of extra training, is an orthopedic sort of, uh, clinical specialist. She's going to come on. We're actually going to talk about the potential shadow sides of the maximalist movement that we may or may not see, um, and particularly where it involves um, children and even high school athletes. And she has also a ton of experience in bike fitting. So she helps people with a lot of special um, ability needs um, do bike fitting to allow them to bike with their unique um, physical abilities. So she's going to talk about some of the, how the biking world might correlate with what we might see, or maybe what we should see or shouldn't see in the running world as well. So it should be a really fun conversation about that, but that's all we'll say about that for now. Um, in the meantime, thank you again for listening and following along with what we're doing. Um, if you want to continue following us, obviously you can subscribe to the podcast and again, leave a review for us. That does help us get the exposure out a little bit more. Uh, and we'd love your feedback. If you want to join our support team, there should be a link up in the podcast description to the anchor support. And, um, beyond that, we obviously have our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, which has updates of whenever we release, release new reviews or articles on rehabilitation or footwear science. And then finally, we do have our Strava group. And so you can follow along with the training that we're all doing, getting ready for a couple races. And uh, it'd be fun to have you there too. So thanks everybody. And we'll see you next time.